are listening to Into the Valley, a Phoenix Suns podcast, a part of the Brightside Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. Welcome into the Valley. I am Ethan Shutt, joined as always by Philip Russell and Ryan Shutt, and we are here to uh, put a little bow on the season, if you will, wrap things up nice and neat, and do our best to. Uh, I'm, maybe I don't want to speak for the group, but maybe put away our recency bias or our, our our yesterday goggles and look at things from the big picture. Maybe that's me trying to force some optimism and perspective into the group. Uh, but again, if you are new here, welcome into the Valley. We appreciate having you here. Uh, Ryan and Philip. how are we doing? Ryan, I'll go ahead and kick it off with you. I am very happy you are here, my boy. I would have been sad to wrap up the year without you. Thank you. I uh, I almost laughed because every time you say uh, joined as always by Ryan and Philip, I'm like, oh, that's awfully generous because I travel <laughs> for work a lot. But I do appreciate that you guys keep my seat open and keep my spot saved at the table. I love you, boys. No, we also gave you a shout out. The same without you. Yeah, we gave you a shout out last podcast. I'm sure you listened to it and heard it. I did every second of it. <laughs> <laughs> always, that's always funny. Always funny. <laughs> Philip, how are you doing, buddy? I'm great, man. I almost ghosted you guys completely for this podcast. Right before I came upstairs to start recording, my daughter was asleep, laying on my chest. We were just snuggling on the couch. She's officially over one month old, and it was very sweet. And I almost said, Phoenix, who? Never heard of them. But here I am to uh, to wrap up a really fun year of Phoenix Suns basketball. That would have made me really sad, but at the same time, as someone who has held the perfect angel baby, I I get it. I get where you're coming from. Well, guys, uh, already mentioned it here, and I want to go ahead and say a uh, quick thank you. I want to get this out at the front of the episode because a lot of the times we wait till the end. I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who has listened all year long. It has been whether it ended the way we wanted it to or not, an exciting season, a fantastic season for basketball watching, for podcast listening, and for us podcast making. So thank you to the Brightside folks for giving us uh, this platform and opportunity, but more importantly, thank you to you guys that listen and make it all possible. All right, got that out of the way. Now, <laughs> was it a burden? It Look, oh, it was like, a, it was more of a checklist. It was more of a checklist because I'm just like, I always wait until the very end. And not to not to be critical of our listeners by any means, but there's a high probability that not everyone makes to the 48 minute mark at times. Sometimes you get to 35. I make it there. I make it there every time. Oh yeah, sure you do. Most people though, maybe you get to that 35 minute mark. Maybe you get to that ad break at 25, and you're like, hey, it's been a good episode, guys. Thank you so much. So I just wanted to say it on the front end. Uh, but no, we we want to have this episode, this set aside time to recap last season. But before we do that, we mentioned it before. We are still basketball fans, even when the Suns aren't playing. And we spent a lot of our last episode talking about what went wrong with the Suns against the Mavericks, what the Mavericks had to look forward to against Golden State. And so if you are not a fan of listening to anything other than the Suns, you may want to hit that skip ahead button a few times. But we did want to open by talking about the Western Conference Finals and what we've seen so far. The Warriors, whether you like them or not, they are one of the most entertaining basketball teams of the last handful of years, and they have remained entertaining as they are up 3-0 over the Mavs. Philip, wanted to go ahead and kick it off to you. What have you seen in this series that either you've liked, disliked, or maybe more importantly for our, our Suns listeners here, what has spoken to you that's jumped off the screen in regards to what maybe the Suns couldn't do against the Mavs that the Warriors have been able to do against the Mavs? I'm going to start with my thesis and then qualify it. Kevon Looney is making a huge, huge impact for the Golden State Warriors, and he is in large part a game changer for the Dubs. Now, I know how some Phoenix Suns fans have been We'll say interpreting Looney's play. They see his great play. They see his offensive rebounding. They see his defense at times and they go, oh, why couldn't DA do that? 
I'm glad you asked that, even though most of you are asking that sarcastically on Twitter, because their offense is so much better than the Phoenix Suns. So much better. And specifically, the Warriors offense is so much better for a big man. If you watch the Warriors offense, there is so much movement off the ball. So much movement off the ball that there are multiple pin downs and guys coming around screens and guys running along the baseline. And all of that movement, what it culminates in a lot of times is a wide open rim run to the basket in a two-on-one, usually coming from the side or usually coming from the corner. DeAndre Ayton doesn't get that in the Phoenix Suns offense. We'll say very rarely does DeAndre Ayton get that in the Phoenix Suns offense. So because of that, DeAndre Ayton is asked to do more skilled things on the offensive end a lot of times than Looney has this particular series. So all that to say, it's just a bad comparison. We can say Looney is having a really good series against the Dallas Mavericks without saying that necessarily implicates DA because the offenses function so differently. And you can think of it primarily as Looney is doing a lot of his damage off ball. DeAndre Ayton's coming to the ball primarily to set those screens in the Phoenix Suns offense. We had a comment in the YouTube section. I think I know the answer. Uh, who are you guys rooting for? And we'll take a step out of the Western Conference here, maybe just for the the rest of the playoffs. I think we're all for the Warriors to beat the Mavs. Is that a, a quick yes across the board? Head shakes, head shakes. All right. So all in agreement here. We do not want the Mavs to go to the NBA Finals. Some of that for me is a clearly petty reason. Part of it, too, is I want an entertaining NBA Finals, and for that reason, uh, for the Mavs, I am out. Suck it, Mark Cuban. But big picture, NBA Finals. Ryan, I'll start with you. Now, obviously, it would be shocking to hear the Mavs, but out of the four teams left in the playoffs, who are you rooting for? Uh, I think I've mentioned on this podcast maybe in, in the past. It I probably was before our, our bright side days, though. Um, Dwayne Wade is my personal favorite basketball player of all time. Um, he came along at a really pinnacle part of my coming into loving the NBA. Uh, so I have a very big soft spot in my heart for the heat. Um, so I'm very much enjoying this, this heat ride as a, you know, outside of the sun's bubble, they've been the team I've been keeping up with and will continue to keep up with. So I'm very much, uh, on the heat train moving forward and hoping that they, uh, are able to, to hang in there and and get it done. Philip, what about you? The Heat are getting smacked right now. It's seven to nothing a couple minutes into the game. We're recording on. Calling it. We're calling it now. Game. Yeah. Yeah. Call game. We're recording late on Monday for those of you who might be listening on Tuesday or Wednesday from Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I love the Warriors. Specifically, watching the Warriors play basketball is awesome. Their defense is on a string. Their offense is Spursian, if you will, from when we were younger and watching those first teams with the ball movement and the player movement, there's a lot of stuff happening off ball where like you can't watch a possession one time and get the full picture of what happened. If you're trying to understand the offense, you're having to watch possessions over and over and over again. And I like that. I like that. I was listening to Rosillo and Simmons earlier today. And I love what Rosillo said. He said, how are you an isolation heavy player? You look at what the warriors do with all of this ball movement, all of their relocations, all of the favorable matchups they get, and then you just go, nah, I'm good. I love it. I love what the Warriors do. I am personally rooting for the Warriors and the Celtics to match up. I think the Celtics' ability to switch on defense paired with the Warriors' ball movement and how both of those teams can go fairly small would make for a really interesting NBA Finals, and I would love it. I would also love for Steph Curry to get a Finals MVP. I think he's great. That is, it is crazy that that hasn't happened, and that the part of the reason is because Andre Iguodala exists. But yes, um, I'm for the C's. I, I like Boston a lot. I think their story has been a really cool one this season. How they started the hole they dug themselves, a first, you know, first year coach with a young, talented group of guys who have, you know, they're not quite, you know, we look at the Suns. The Suns had a lot of guys playing their first ever game seven. And then you look at the Celtics who are all like 25 and under. They're in like their seventh game seven in their career. It's insane. Like it's a lot of battle tested guys 
who have really formed an exciting young core. And I like watching them play a lot. So that's who I'm pulling for. I will say, though, Warriors versus either of the two teams at East, I think, will give us a good finals. And that's really all I care about at this point. I will say, as somebody who uh, is completely exhausted with Kyrie Irving, if the Heat can't win at all, I would very much be for the Celtics because I think it would be hilarious if in the year that the Nets imploded that the Celtics were able to get the ring and the trophy and just flaunt it through New England uh, right in the grill of Kyrie Irving. I would love that very much. Well, as a surprise to no one, Ryan remains petty, but I appreciate when we can stay on brand. Uh, It did remind me, though, at the uh, Nashville-Atlanta soccer game on Saturday night, my my winner for the most obscure jersey found at a sporting event, and usually at soccer games, if it's a soccer game, people are wearing any soccer jersey, and it just counts. Like People just allow a random Leeds United or Tottenham jersey or a Ronaldinho Brazil jersey. It's just allowed. But I saw a Kyrie Irving Celtics jersey. Mm, and I said to myself, hates. one, who still Pride owns this? Career. Who still owns this? And two, who still wears it? And then the added is like, okay, you're at a soccer game where neither of these teams' primary color is green, yet you're here. So I don't know if he's just an Irving stand, but yeah, that, that one was a crazy one for me. But no, I think I think to Phillip's point, I think the the Mavs are are in a tough spot. I guess to close the Western Conference Finals topic, are we thinking sweep or do you think the Mavs claw back at least one, maybe two? Get the hey, rooms out, baby. The uh the Warriors might lose by fifty in game four. They have uh they've shown an ability to play exceptionally poorly in in those kind of games. So Who's to say what they're going to show up for in game four? But if you win game four with how all of these series have been every other day, the sooner you can get it done, the more rest you can get. And it does not look like the East series is going any less than six or seven. Which is absolutely wonderful. Unrelated, did either of you happen to see my hot take today on last night's game? That Andrew Wiggins did not, in fact, dunk on somebody he dunked beyond or past Luca. That's a, such a stupid take. He literally just, forearm into his armpit. Watch, was, watch it again. There is a lot of space between the two of them. I think what Cam Johnson did to PJ is dunking on somebody. He dunked past Luca. That's all my pet peeve for the week. That's what I've noticed in the Western Conference Finals. Man, I really liked the vibe when it was just me and Philip. Hurtful. <laughs> Brother, you can't legitimately think that. I need to know if this is just a normal Ryan spicy take. That no, ma- I stand by that. Oh my goodness! All right. Well, with with that in the rear view, as quick as possible, we move on to our son's year in review. Now, there's only one way that we can properly review something, and if you've been listening for long enough, you would know that Into the Valley is known for our highs, our lows, and our just so you knows. And that does sound like something you would get out of an elementary school. And yep, no arguments here. It works for us, so we ride with it. And so as we look to recap the entire year, we decided to look for our highs, our lows, and our just for you and our just so you knows. That's a lot of words, boys. Uh, for the entire season for the Phoenix Suns. Now, again, I already tried to give the group a pep talk here. We're looking for some optimism, maybe, maybe some uh some 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 glimmer of hope past the storms. Maybe we don't just dwell on the last two weeks, but no better way to start that than with our highs. Uh, Philip is going to go last on this one per request. And so, Ryan, I'll let you kick this one off. I will risk you taking mine. But what is your high for the year in Phoenix Suns basketball? My high for the year is that Devin Booker became the most important player in Phoenix Suns history. Uh, I think the moment where he passed off the jersey to Al McCoy after clinching the the record wins in the series was just a beautiful moment. And we talked about it on an earlier pod, but that really felt like the night that Devin Booker became the Phoenix Suns. And there's been a lot of great Suns in in the team's history and a lot of really um, big names, uh, especially when you're looking at guys like Marley and Nash and and Chuck. But um, what Devin Booker has endured and given to this team and to get them to the level that they're at, um, 
to me, that was the high of the season because it, it sets a really cool tone moving forward. Uh, and it also, I think, answered some of the, the questions of whose team is this Chris Paul's or books. We've all said it was books, I think, pretty much the whole time here on the podcast. But that just felt like this really nice kind of crowning moment for Booker uh, and that that picture of him kind of leaning over the, the scorer's table to Al and giving him the jersey and writing on it. Uh, it's just kind of the, the the snapshot of the season for me. When I think of this season, that's probably the moment that I'm going to look back most fondly on uh, and remember, though dapping up the baby is probably up there uh, for a close second. Yes, the moment he cursed himself forever. Great times. No, I love it. You went, you went super uh, microscopic lens. I went super broad. So I'm glad we can kind of counterbalance each other here. And Philip, I hope I'm not stepping on toes. For me, the high is that this was a historically great regular season team. And amongst our little group here, our little trio, I've been watching the Suns for the longest. I was the only one who was avidly watching the Suns during their last prime. And so I grew up and fell in love with the 0405 Suns, like the historically good, most wins in a season incredible everything sons and that was great and i've been talk about a a beautiful play on words here we've been in quite a valley for a while we have been we have been stuck i i joined as a fan at the last real peak and we've been struggling for a while and these last (coughs) excuse me two seasons (coughs) we've we've seen them climb out of that and find this new level so just this season once again we have the most wins in franchise history. We have the first and fifth longest winning streak in Suns history. First being 18, and then their 11-game winning streak was fifth. So it wasn't just one hot streak. They they did it a few times. And then they were first in the Western Conference for the first time since 0405. We're also best record in the league and did so by a wide margin. Now, I'm going to pump the brakes here before I accidentally walk into my low of the season. But my high of the season is that this team, top to bottom, was fantastic. Uh, And I've got some fun stuff to point out in our Just So You Knows to kind of rehash that a little bit, make sure we end on a lighter note. Uh, But it was a great season to watch. As a Suns fan, as a basketball fan, there's really not much to complain about in terms of what we got to watch for 82 games. And that was awesome. Like There was no lull this season. We joked about, you know, those last few weeks can be little tough to get through, especially when you have to put content out, but they, they continued to deliver. They continued to find storylines. It was a fun, exciting year with a lot of big games, a lot of individual performances that stand out, whether it's Cam against the Knicks, Booker against basically anybody. Uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. There was a lot of great moments this year. So as a whole, when I try to remember this year, it's just going to be how good this team was, how deep they were, and how much they enjoyed playing basketball with one another. Philip, high for the year, sir. Yeah, so mine's a segment of this season, and it's February 24th through March 23rd. For context, on February 16th, which was the game before the All-Star break, Chris Paul went down with an injury. It was that thumb injury that he had. He played in the All-Star game, so there was some question of how serious was that going to be but he went on to miss the next 15 games for the Suns. And that was at a time where the Suns had a pretty comfortable lead over the Warriors. They were six and a half games up on the Warriors. The Warriors were kind of in their second half struggle at that point, but the Grizzlies were surging at that point. Grizzlies were on fire. So the Suns needed to hold the line. You have to hold the line with Chris Paul being out. Here's what happened. The Suns went 11 and four in that stretch which is a 73% winning percentage, just under their season average of 78%. Scoring-wise, they scored 120 points per game over that 15-game stretch, which was greater than basically their 115 points per game on the season. They shot 50-39-84 splits compared to on the season 49-36-80. and They shot more three-pointers and more free throws and shot better from the three-point line and better from the free throw line. 
They had 28.7 assists per game during that stretch compared to 27.4 assists per game. They had fewer turnovers. They had a better net rating. When you look at all the advanced stats, they were just better offensively during that stretch. Seven players in that stretch averaged double figures. Six of those players averaged double figures while playing more than half of those 15 games. And then here's what I loved about this stretch. Devin Booker, Cam Johnson for the few games that he played, DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Payne, Jay Crowder, Landry Shamit, and Aaron Holiday all averaged more offensive production in those 15 games than they did the rest of the season. Here's why it mattered. Those weren't just games without CP3. Booker missed four games in that same stretch. Cam Johnson missed 10 games. Campaign missed another four games. That was a stretch in the season where the Suns were on that historic pace that Ethan was just talking about. It could have fallen apart. And instead of talking about a historically great Phoenix Suns team, we're talking about a pretty good Phoenix Suns team. But instead, the Suns kept it rolling, guaranteeing two things. One, home court advantage and a historically great season for the franchise. And then, and then, and this is the last point I'll make about this stretch. Some of the most memorable regular season games happened during that stretch without CP3. The big one, Cam Johnson's game against New York Knicks. The Cam Johnson game, maybe the game of the regular season, came during that stretch without CP3. And then, I don't know how many people will remember this, a Sunday afternoon in early March against the Bucks. Without Booker, without CP3, without Cam Johnson, the Suns wound up losing the game by 10, but they were winning for most of the game and lost in crunch time with basically an entire second unit out on the court, but just a great, great effort. So that stretch of the season was wildly, wildly impressive to show the depth of this Phoenix Suns team. And to show that even in most of the crunch time, the Suns' second unit plugging in pieces when Booker and CP3 were out, the Suns were that good. They were that good this year, and they exemplified it when they went a month without CP3. I love it. No, that's that's great, and that's a good reminder, too. Uh, there were a lot of – I mean, there's just a lot of really impressive feats that that team pulled off that – Again, like it would have been excusable for them to slip many, many times. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and transition us to our lows for the year and kick us off. One, because there's not a whole lot of substance to mine other than me just being a little bit sad. But we talk about all of the highs for this year, a historically good team, a a culture shift, if you will, in terms of the the face of the franchise kind of coming into view, this guy reaching this next level and how they continued to push past adversity all year long, which you could easily in your mind kind of translate to what will this team look like in the playoffs, right? Like what happens when someone goes down? What happens if things get a little rocky? Like you've got your depth, you've got these guys that can step up. We've seen it all here. My low for the year is that a historically great regular season ended with a historically disappointing end of the playoffs. And you can, I'll, I'll be honest, the hyperbole, the exaggeration, you just want to be like one of the most embarrassing whatevers. Look, you can find worse. There's, there's other teams that have had bigger disappointments. Uh, the Mavericks actually being the last one who actually, they finished first in the Western Conference and then lost in the first round. They were the first, they got... I, I think it was in six. I think the Mavs lost in six. It was an Avery Johnson team. You know, like you could have that. We didn't have that. Like we made it to the second round. We lost in seven. It is disappointing. There are other teams who also, I think the Spurs being one of them, first overall, better wins than the Suns did. They lost in the second round. Like there's there's not a historical precedent to make some sweeping, exaggerated, like biggest disappointment in NBA history, what have you here. But at the end of the day, it was a pretty big disappointment if you're throwing them in like the top five or 10 for the year. And so 
before I let you guys take over your lows here, I wanted to have this one point to make myself feel better. And if nothing else, maybe tease some of our stuff for the summer. The last team that I think you could describe as a massive disappointment in how things ended are a certain team in the years 2015 to the years 2016. That team had the most wins in NBA regular season history. And Philip, I know you watched almost every one of them. Who was that team? It would be the Warriors who blew a 3-1 lead. That was the Golden State Warriors in 2015-2016, finishing a regular season 73-9 and before making it to the finals, getting a 3-1 lead, and blowing it to the LeBron, James, and co. Cavs. I say that for this, and, and only this, and then we can move on. That team did not come back the next year and say, hey, let's just do this again. We believe that we can get this done. They went out and got Kevin Durant. I'm not saying the Suns need to go get Kevin Durant specifically. But what I am saying is there could be some precedent to say even the greatest team, and honestly, those Warriors, I know the KD Warriors were up a level, but that team was being discussed as potentially the best team in NBA history, along with the Bulls. And some may argue they were the best. That team lost in the finals. The NBA playoff format is wonderful because crazy things can happen in a seven-game series. Unfortunately for the Suns, it didn't, didn't work in our favor this year. Uh, Might have been the odds-on favorite to win at many, many times, including going into the playoffs. But at the end of the day, basketball happens. It's a make-or-miss league, as they say. And in Game 7, the Mavs made everything, and the Suns kind of showed up. Right? It is what it is. But... All I'm saying is I don't think the low for this year is going to mean a low for next year just because things ended poorly, right? I trust that things will happen. I trust that changes will be made. Wink, wink. We can talk about it during the summer, but I'm hopeful. I am hopeful that a team that was this good with this many young pieces who genuinely enjoy playing together will have more bright moments ahead. I'm not going to hop on the Bill Simmons, the windows over train. I think that's stupid. But as we look at this here, all by itself, in a vacuum here, it was a disappointing ending and one that I don't think any of us predicted. And that's Suns fans as a whole, NBA writers as a whole. And that was the shock factor, I think, uh, of how it all ended. So that was my low for the year, uh, that, it, that it ended poorly. <laughs> No great numbers to back it up, but it sucked. That is a fact. Philip, what you got for your low of the year for the Suns? It it's a combination. Just to wrap in the playoffs, we'll say it was a lack of a third playmaker, a third on ball playmaker specifically. Uh, yes. Aaron Gordon's your low of the year. Got it. No, it's campaign. Uh, I know <laughs> because it's that's the that's the primary place where I think the Suns need to improve. There was just nothing consistent backing up Chris Paul, giving Devin Booker breaks. So when you think about guys who just weren't good enough, on ball, make a play for yourself. Mikhail Bridges wasn't good enough. DeAndre Ayton, Cam Johnson, Landry Samet, and then I've already mentioned it, especially campaign. The Suns could rarely just kind of throw it to one of those guys and expect them to make a good, strong move against their defender one-on-one to make a play. Flashes, yes, consistent, absolutely not. And you can think about how the Warriors right now contrast that to an incredible degree. Jordan Poole, every, yeah. Ethan and I have watched a couple of the Western Conference Finals games together, and it's like every time Jordan Poole does something, in my mind I'm thinking, that's their Cameron Payne. It's not now, I will say it's not fair to compare Jordan Poole and campaign. They have very different skill sets. Jordan Poole is probably times better than campaign is, but that's the position he's filling, the backup point guard. Wiggins, same way. Feel comfortable with him going to town. He has a good mid-range jumper. We saw the other night that man can get to the rim. And then Clay Thompson. Hey, he'll dunk right past you. He he absolutely will. And then Clay Thompson, who he has some questionable decision-making, 
but his back down into a step back jumper from the baseline is still a good play. And he can take good defenders like that. The Suns just didn't have that. And what those guys can do for the Warriors is it takes the pressure off of Steph and Draymond thinking that they have to make the play every time down the court or that they have to make the key pass every time down the court, which for the Suns, it felt like at times, and it especially felt like this in the playoffs, that if it wasn't Devin Booker or Chris Paul, it just wasn't going to happen. So the low again for the year, a third on-ball playmaker with specific emphasis on not having a good enough backup point guard. And my my low actually was was pretty much going to tie right to to that. And I think even more big picture, this is the second year now that we've entered the playoffs with a glaring gap in a position. And that to me is kind of a low that I feel like James Jones has missed on. Last year it was the backup big. And all season we said, who's going to be that backup big? Who's going to be that backup big? We went out. We ended up getting JaVale McGee, which was great. We have guys um, like um, – uh, biz come in late in the season and play really well and got some really good playoff minutes but kind of in a mirror image to last year the last two months of the season we were saying who's the backup guard who's the backup guard because holiday came in barely got any playing time we knew for a fact alfred Payton wasn't going to get any playing time and Tough. campaign had been terrible so for the second year in a row we're entering the playoffs with this really glaring gap and to me that's a little bit of a red flag moving forward and I think, you know, people on Twitter and since Twitter all year were calling for an, an Eric Gordon, Gordon signing and things like that. So we all saw writings on the wall. We didn't know how it would be filled and it ended up not being filled. Uh, but my honorable mentions, just because Philip, I think, did a nice job kind of covering that as it pertains to this year. I don't like the way Frank Kaminsky was cut that late in the year. He That to me was just a kind of a morale low. And DA's implosion the last two weeks has, has been a low for this this season. Um, I, most of the season I spent thinking that he was going to be a layup for a big contract and he has seemed to have shot himself in the foot. If the rumors that are coming out about him giving up on the team have any truth to them, that is a historic implosion over a two or three week span. I mean, I think he's still going to get a big contract if that makes your prediction feel any better. <laughs> it just might whether not, or not be. Not, I was going to say whether or not it's with us is the question. Um, but that has been a low to me too because I could I did not have that on my son's bingo board that DeAndre Ayton quote unquote could have given up on the team. Um, but that's kind of where I'm at the the glaring the glaring gap going into the playoffs and then my boy Frank getting done a little bit dirty and then DA giving up. I I think you made a really good point and Philip I want to ask you a question. It seems like I'm in agreement with Ryan. Last year we knew the weak point. And we saw it get exposed in the finals. We we assessed a weak point going into this year's playoffs, and it came to bite us once again. Now, I think it's unfair to think that every team can feel super confident at every point. So if you look like at a, a Warriors team, maybe, maybe their fans going into the playoffs are like, we don't have a big that can compete with the big, strong Jokic, Giannis, Aiton, whoever, right? Um, and then they end up seeing not like the bigs, the bigs, but that they've got guys that they can rely on, like a Moody or a Looney. Oh, that's that was funny, cute. Um, you know, even even dudes like Kaminga who aren't their bigs, but still dudes that can play a role step up. Do you think there's some part of it you just you go into every playoff saying, hey, we've got our weak link, but let's hope the guys step up or do you think there are teams out there, you know, maybe you're looking at the heat or the Celtics who are, are pretty deep in a lot of areas. And you're like, you know, maybe, maybe that is the norm. That's what's to be expected. Do you think you can, you can try to build that perfect complete roster or is it some of it just going to be counting on things to go right for you? You can try, but it's painfully difficult. It's difficult. So let's, let's poke holes in all the, in all the teams right now. Boston, their backup guards, kind of, say Derek White and Pritchard. Derek White offensively is rough. It's pretty ugly when he has the ball in his hands. Pritchard is getting hunted relentlessly by Jimmy Butler when he's, when he's in the game. So that's a weak point, if you will, for, for the Boston Celtics. The Heat have something similar. Duncan Robinson has been essentially played off Who? out of their rotation. He's 
he's actually he's getting a, he's a pod tonight. he's a podcast host Ryan podcast yeah okay host Duncan Robinson yeah the dude who's getting paid thirty million to podcast mm-hmm. he's getting in tonight but again he's a defensive liability Tyler Hero is the same way the Mavericks Luca is a major defensive liability and then because they play the heliocentric form of basketball they are so reliant on Reggie Bullock and Dorian Finney Smith and Maxi Kleba to make three point shots and when you're playing an athletic good defensive team like the Warriors. Yes, they might be considered open shots, but they're shots that they're taking with defenders closing hard. So all of these teams, all of these teams have holes in them. Jordan Poole is somewhat of a defensive liability for the Warriors as well. So to think like the roster is going to be this perfectly constructed, we're not going to have any weak points uh, entity is a little foolish in my mind. And I think it's especially foolish. If you look at the Suns and you say the Suns lost because of James Jones or because of whoever else in the front office, you might want to point to it's the low for the year, but I don't know if you can blame anyone outside of the guys who are actually on the team, because we talked about this a lot in our last episode, two playmakers for the Phoenix Suns. That was enough to carry them to a historically great season. But then those same two playmakers just laid goose eggs the last couple games, specifically in game seven, and they weren't good enough. So that that playmaking was good enough for the entire year. And then both of those guys just didn't show up in in game seven. And we talked about it last time, so I'm not going to rehash why this is. The Suns can't survive bad games from both of those guys as the roster is currently constructed, but they did survive with those two primary playmakers for an entire two season run that included an NBA finals run and two of the best seasons in franchise history. Yeah. And I don't think I, in Ryan, just to make sure I don't think you were saying we lost because of James Jones. I just thought it was an interesting kind of thought exercise of saying it teams have holes. What can you do or what can't you do? Uh, but no, I think that was a, a really good call out because I kind of hadn't even connected last season to this season, but I, I thought that was a really good point. Um, so let's move past our lows here. We move to our just so you knows, the the part of the show that can go really any direction. It birthed uh, Cam Johnson Thursdays. It birthed uh, people getting snowed in at an Ikea in somewhere. Ryan, where was that one? You expect me to remember that, dude? I'm week by week, baby. You're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Ryan, Ryan's our, our, our contract podcaster here. He gets his notes and he, he comes back the next week. But no, we've had some fun just so you know, some weird just so you knows. Uh, and, and trying to think of one for the year was a bit tough. But I'm going to go ahead and start because I think mine is pretty pretty broad. It'll kind of keep things open for you guys moving forward. But my just so you know for the year was that as you look at this team's historical greatness, whether it's franchise specific or records as a whole, I think a lot of the times it is because of other teams, maybe because of one person, maybe you look at the Cavs and you say, look what LeBron did, right? Uh, I think what was so cool this season for me was that we talked about it as people that watched the Suns. We knew how important so many people were. Not just players, but coaches as well. And I, I did some research, and I could have done more, but I, I, it's the, it's the off season. Let's be real here. Here is something that I thought was very interesting about the end of the year awards. So here's how a son, at least one son, fared in the end of the season awards. So in the MVP race, we had the fourth highest vote getter. In the defensive player of the year race, we had the second highest vote getter. In the sixth man of the year, we had the third highest vote getter. Coach of the year, we had the winner, first place. Executive of the year actually had fourth place. So that is MVP, defensive player of the year, sixth man, coach of the year, and executive of the year. The Suns had someone in the top five, including a winner. That to me screams, this is a very complete team that was not just relying on one guy but an entire team that was well-coached, well-put-together, and had a great showing on the court. And that was cool for me. 
Because, yeah, like, Book coming forth, no, he wasn't going to win the thing. But the fact that after the big three, he's the guy that comes next, that's great. You know, Tatum and Doncic were 5'6", and you see the value they bring. We saw Cam Johnson on, on an awards ballot. Who would have expected that when he got drafted? And everyone was roasting James Jones and the whole team, and poor Cam Johnson getting roasted by everyone except for Kobe White, who was excited for him. Like, that's awesome. Uh, Mikhail Bridges, we talked about how much we wanted to see him on an all-defense team. He's first-team all-defense in the NBA and came second place in an award that I think could have easily turned and had him come in first. That's awesome. And then the cherry on top for me, Coach of the Year Monty Williams getting the credit he deserved from last season and the fact that he had such an incredible improvement over the incredible improvement from last year that he still got the recognition he deserved. That's great. Uh, We didn't have anyone receiving votes for Rookie of the Year. Very obvious reasons on that one. And then Most Improved Player. I'm surprised that we didn't get any votes anywhere. Uh, But at the same time, if anything, it just gives me the, the next point of saying we saw so many big steps from so many of the young guys to allow themselves to be on those other ballots. So I was just I was just proud. It was a it was a great season. I'm glad the players themselves got recognition. I'm not one to harp on the media coverage and crap like that, but for the individual efforts that were put in, I'm glad they got some recognition. And that made me really happy. So that's my just so you know. The Suns had a pretty incredible end of the year uh award season. I almost and this was like the Ethan do you care this much? I almost went to see how many other teams have had a top five vote getter in that many categories. I spent about 15 minutes on it and then I quit because boy, my Excel spreadsheet was looking ugly real fast. And I said, you know what? I think this point will be fine on its own. Ryan, just so you know, for the year and again, no pressure, but you have delivered us some classics in the past. Don't want to put too much pressure on you, but what you got for the year. Have you guys heard about what's going on in Lincoln, Nebraska right now? Uh, no. Yeah, me neither. Those aren't, that has nothing to do with my just so you okay, know. Okay, good. Uh, so I actually have kind of two, I think. And the first is more um, kind of big picture related. And I've been trying to reframe how I view this season uh, to provide myself with some optimism for next season. And I think it's the way I'm looking at it is that I think we may have needed this just absolutely embarrassing implosion in game seven to kind of reshape the way this team thinks moving forward. I feel like this team got really high on itself and deservedly. So you go to the finals, you come back, you have a historic wins year, you go on an 18 game win streak. And this, this Suns team around the league was pretty blatantly cocky, petty, calling out other players in games and in post game press conferences. We were not well liked. I think, personality wise maybe as a team just because we kind of were feeling ourselves for a lot of the year so I'm hoping maybe that this kind of implosion and this really far falling of short of a goal this year will allow us to kind of lock in and be focused on that end gold next season to kind of motivate the team moving forward um, and that's just kind of how I'm looking at this this postseason and kind of looking at then next season and then with next season in mind my real just so you know i guess would be uh, a quote that uh brendan clean uh, i guess somebody reported or he reported directly from james jones's end of the year press conference uh where he said quote the luxury tax isn't something that's going to prevent the Suns from improving the roster and that is a phrase i don't think that has been uttered in any of the years of my son's fandom and I'd venture to guess in any of the years, Ethan, of uh, you your can, son's you fandom. Can, you can go back to how and why the seven seconds or less sons died. A lot of that was money decisions, whether right. that's a Joe Johnson or otherwise. So, yeah, this is this is and a so new thing. That, that seems to be a change in approach. Um, and I think even maybe Sarver or James Jones once said, you know, you when you win, you have to support that financially. Uh, And and it seems to be the case that they're going to be taking that a little bit more seriously and looking to spend maybe more money than they have in the past. And I think that's going to be a welcome change and perhaps could be, you know, uh, integral to bringing in the right pieces to to get the the trophy next year, Um, which is exciting. If you're a Suns fan and you're hearing that, you should be excited that we're finally maybe about to spend some money. We'll see. That's one where I'm going to 
it's a way fingers are crossed me, yeah you never know but you gotta hopeful. be hopeful or else you're gonna well, have hey, a life we, I, mean, I, I don't think it's worth bringing up <clears throat> fully for the conversation but ownership could change who knows changes could be coming over the summer and that could come with some pretty uh large scale shifts as well uh but again topic for another day philip our final just so you know of this phoenix sun season this is tying into something that Ethan said earlier, but the Suns were a historically great team, not just in terms of the Phoenix Suns, but in terms of the NBA as a whole as well. If you go and find a list of the greatest seasons in NBA history, the Suns are basically tied for the 22nd best. You're looking at a top 25 team in NBA history when it comes to number of wins. There's a lot of really good stuff to look into to kind of contextualize how good this team was historically. But all I'm going to share, and I shared this on a previous episode, I think it's worth rehashing now that the season is actually over. I'm just going to share the other 64 win teams in NBA history. We'll go in order. The 95-96 Seattle Supersonics. Lost to Jordan in the finals. 96-97, Utah Jazz, lost to Jordan in the finals. 05-06, Pistons, lost to Ryan's Miami Heat on Dwayne Wade's way to his first title. But they had a 12-game cushion between themselves and the rest of the East. 12 games. Insane. That's unbelievably good. And then... The 21-22 Phoenix Suns. You were talking about historically memorable teams. And while, unfortunately, for a lot of basketball fans, what will be memorable about this Phoenix Suns team is an incredible flameout in Game 7. There was still a lot of good that came from this season and a whole lot of good basketball that we were able to dissect and think about and talk about and hopefully elevate on this platform. It was a good year. Mm-hmm. It had a bad ending, but it was a very, very good year. And as the season closes and we wrap it up, we've, we've mentioned already, we are not going anywhere. Uh, we are going to be working. We've already started having some, some meetings within our own, our little groups here figuring out what we want to talk about during the summer. I publicly said on an episode that we would be continuing the weekly podcast, and I've already been uh, contacted about that to ensure that that was not a slip-up. And it was not a slip-up. We will be here. And yes, at times, that means we're going to have to get a little creative uh, with what we're putting out there. But if you... Y'all didn't like the silliness before, just wait till we have zero to talk about, baby. Uh, and Ryan will be traveling for the majority of the summer with his new job, so he can say whatever he wants and will not be held accountable. It is truly a blessing that I wish I had. Uh, but no, I, we tweeted this out uh, maybe last week, and I wanted to bring it up at the end of this episode. For those that are listening, if you have topics or questions that you would like covered or answered, hit us up on Twitter at the Valley PHX. You can tweet them. You can send us a DM. I've already got, I think, three or four from the time the tweet got sent out. We are going to be taking those and either integrating those in the topics and the content we have scheduled or putting them together for mailbags where we kind of just want to go over a lot of what's coming in. And, and those are good because, you know, the topics of, of June, July may be different than August, September as different times of the year come and go. Uh, But we're excited to keep doing this. Uh, We appreciate you all listening and sticking with us uh, and all the love you've been giving us. And we want to make sure that that we stick around for you during the offseason where maybe whether it's Phoenix Suns basketball or not, you're just looking for some uh, familiar voices to listen to on the way to work, on your run, whatever it is. So thank you guys. Thank you for the folks at Brightside. Thank you for everyone that's listening. Ryan, Philip, one last thing before we uh, close our year in review. Go, son. Philip? I actually have something. Yes. All right. That's so great. For, for the offseason, I'm breaking, I'm breaking the brand for a second. For the offseason, here's what we definitely have coming up. I think this is a good thing to tease 
so people will know what to expect, at least initially. One of the things we're interested in doing is exit interviews for the players. So the guys who got a significant amount of playing time from Devin Booker down to Aaron Holiday, Bismack, some of those guys who didn't play as much, we want to do exit interviews and kind of think through highs, lows, just so you know, from each of the guys who played a significant chunk of the season. And then going into the offseason, we currently have five questions that we're very interested in answering. So just to plug those really quickly. What happens to DA? What happens with Cam Johnson? Ethan just brought this up. What happens with Sarver? What can the Suns do with their expiring and mid-level contracts? Think Dario, Campaign, Jay Crowder. And then how did the Suns address the backup point guard spot? So while the live basketball and talks of Spain pick and rolls and double drags and pin downs and blitzes and drops, et cetera, is over, there's still a lot of good stuff for us to talk about. And you'll find it right here on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. And just for clarification, for liability purposes, these exit interviews will not be conducted with the players. Do not say, hey, y'all said you were going to have interviews. This is just us talking through their exit, just in case anybody gets the wrong idea. I would hope that they didn't, but just in case. Now our butts are nice and covered. Uh before we go, wanted to give one Into the Valley shout out uh, to David Nash, our first and at this point only guest on the podcast. He is wrapping up uh, his newsletter, The Four Point Play. That thing has been, uh, I, I almost said religious reading, but I felt like I didn't want to get smited from above. That thing has been a must read for me since it has come out. I don't know if I've missed one even silly ones about free agent targets that I knew we would never get. I still enjoyed reading it because I enjoy the work that goes into putting out content like that. Uh, I know how much work we put into doing stuff like this. I cannot imagine all the extra effort writing it down and making sure you don't purposely sound like an idiot, which is what we do on here all the time. Uh, so, David, if you are listening, thank you for all the work you've done for Suns fans. I know I've learned a lot from your work. I think all of us would say the same thing. And with that, for Philip and Ryan, I'm Ethan. This is Into the Valley, the Phoenix Suns podcast. We out.